This morning's reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 10, and it's on page 720 in the Pew Bibles. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Have I got that in the right place? Can everybody hear? Yeah. They will rejoice. These words resound through the passage, don't they, through Isaiah 35, and they provide the focus for the entire passage. The time of these opening verses is in the future, as Isaiah was writing, but as a prophetic word, the exact time wasn't exactly specified, but the place of the prophecy is clear. It's in the wilderness. This word speaks of God's promises into every human situation, loneliness, desolation. It speaks of God's promises within the complex history of Israel, of slavery, of redemption, of failure and of faith. Not only for Israel who were in exile in Babylon, but it also speaks for us as we journey through life. Wilderness has many meanings for Israel. In Genesis and Exodus, it's a place of flight and of freedom. In Deuteronomy, it's populated by deadly animals. In Exodus, we're told it's a place where water is scarce and crops don't grow. It's a dangerous place, a place to get lost in. But the wilderness is where God's people learned to trust In the wilderness, God carried them, he fed them, and he gave them water. In the wilderness, God found his people, and he guarded and cared for them, and lifted them up. 
And so here for Israel, the wilderness sings. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a crocus. Its blossom will be abundant and rejoice with singing and joy. I don't know about you, but when times are difficult or don't meet my expectations or when the road ahead seems hidden or foggy, then I think my natural instinct is to look for the route out. But here, Isaiah isn't talking of a way out of the wilderness or desert. Instead, he shows how God can transform a place that can't sustain life into one that not only sustains life, but where life flourishes in abundance. The opening verses of this chapter contrast dramatically with the land described in the previous chapter, in chapter 34, a land soaked with blood where the soil had turned to sulfur and pitch. In chapter 35, the desert wilderness remains a desert, but it's a desert that rejoices and blossoms. I don't know, did some of you see the program on television a couple of weeks ago about deserts and about how life will cling on living on the edge, waiting for the rain. And when it comes, almost miraculously, the desert springs into life. Dormant seeds sprout, and it's as if creation sings in joyous celebration. It's a sight that inspires joy. Even watching it on the television, it inspires joy and texture and colour. And this is the image that our prophetic poet captures here, the vitality and joy that he describes blossoming in the wilderness. But while the wilderness might seem forbidding, we remember that it was in the wilderness that Yahweh forged Israel into a nation. It was through the wilderness that the Lord carried Israel. During their 40 years in the wilderness, He was with them, so they lacked nothing. It was in the wilderness that the Lord humbled Israel, but it was in the wilderness that he fed them. John the Baptist went into the wilderness to proclaim the need for repentance. Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted, and he retreated to the wilderness to pray. And as a real wilderness, or as a metaphor, Wilderness is linked with both the spiritual history and discipline of the nation of Israel, but it's also linked with us as we journey through life. As I thought about these verses last week, it struck me that we live our lives in the wilderness, the wilderness of a fallen world where God no longer strolls in the garden as he did when we were created. And so Isaiah not only speaks to Israel, a nation in exile from the promised land, but also to us, who live in exile from the garden we were meant to inhabit. And in the same way we read of Israel's return from Babylon, we know that we are also redeemed from exile, redeemed from the separation from God because of our relationship with Jesus whose birth we remember and celebrate in a couple of weeks' time at Christmas. So a wilderness that blossoms abundantly and rejoices with joy and singing represents so much more than geography. It represents 
spiritual renewal, vitality, our blossoming, our fruitfulness. It speaks to a people who are in a right relationship with God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees, Isaiah says in verse 3. Israel had been in exile in Babylon for decades, and their bondage had sapped their spirit and strength. The first step to recovery of strength is recovery of spirit. The prophet calls people to begin that recovery and starts to lay the foundation of hope. What's it like to feel hopeless? We feel weak. We feel heavy-hearted. We drift through life being battered and trapped by circumstances. But when hope is restored, we find reservoirs of untapped spiritual strength. Our vision is renewed. We sing with the prophet as we fly on eagle's wings. And for those who have a fearful heart, Isaiah says, Be strong. Don't be afraid. But these people that Isaiah speaks to have no reason to be afraid because God is with them and therefore they have hope. We have no reason to be afraid. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The next few verses of this chapter for me are amongst the most poetic As Isaiah says, for waters will break out in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In this chapter, salvation has already been glimpsed through various metaphors as a blossoming desert, as a God coming to save the people, and as a God who lifts our infirmities. Now, in these verses, the prophet returns to the wilderness metaphor as he says, and the burning sand shall become a pool, a lake of pure and refreshing water. I remember as a child being fascinated by the appearance of roads when the sun shone on them in a certain way. They shimmered and looked as if they were covered by water. Of course, they weren't covered by water. When we got there, it was just the same as the rest of the road. It was a mirage, and that's what Isaiah is describing here. The image which Isaiah probably had in his mind as he wrote the words burning or shimmering sand is based on a Hebrew word which talks of the heat of the sun, describes the phenomenon which is produced, this one's for Phil, by the refraction of the rays of the sun on the glowing sand. (laughs) If there's any other physicists in the house, it's for you as well. (laughs) Don't ask me to explain it, Phil will later. (laughs) But it gives the appearance of a sea or lake of water. There's an ancient Arabian proverb that says, deceitful is the appearance of water. Isaiah is telling us that the burning, shimmering sand which deceive us into thinking we're looking at a pool of water will actually become real pools, pools of life-giving, fresh water. Mirages are seen particularly in the deserts of Arabia and Egypt and occasionally in the south of France, and that's why we use the French word mirage. So here in these verses, Isaiah is telling us that a mirage which looks like water 
and which often deceives the desperate or unaware will become real, will become a lake of fresh, life-giving water. There'll be no deception, no illusion, no more false appearances or unreal hopes. The hopes and promises of this world can be as deceptive as a mirage. As we approach them or trust in them, they recede or vanish. They're always at a distance on the horizon. They're as elusive as the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. I had to dissuade my granddaughter from charging around Shropshire the other day looking for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like the roulette player who who reckons luck is always going to be at the next spin of the wheel, They tempt us to wander far from the road of salvation and discipleship. Adverts and culture would have us believe that if only we could have this, be that, do this, if only we could be part of that group or this group, if only, if only, then life would be okay. But it's a delusion, a mirage. But the promises of God through our Messiah Jesus, are of real lakes of water and of real running streams to sustain us. They never deceive, his promises never receive, recede, never vanish, are never unsatisfactory. In the promises of God, there's no illusion, no spin of the roulette wheel. He will satisfy our needs and his supply is inexhaustible. We live in a time when truth is relevant, is relative or even irrelevant. We only have to think back to the arguments of the referendum debate or of the presidential campaign to realise that truth has become a flexible commodity. Even truth has become a mirage in some quarters of our society. But here, in this picture of the pure, life-giving lake of water, we see as well a metaphor for God's truth. It's not the deceit of a mirage. It's in God's truth alone that we will receive and drink from the life-giving water that our thirsty world so needs. Isaiah says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. People will hear truth. They won't be deceived. And even more, the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing. This is wonderful poetic language, isn't it? It reflects a godly concern for people with physical infirmities, but it's also a metaphor for the people of Israel who will experience a joyous freedom. And it's a metaphor for all of God's people, for us, who will experience and are experienced and can experience that same joyous freedom in him. It portrays the beauty of God in heaven, but it also could be a description of today's culture where so many are unseeing and unhearing. But this passage brings us the hope and encouragement that they will hear and they will see that all is not lost in a sea of postmodernist relativism. 
In the New Testament, we see Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision when John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who's to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus answers, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. That's what our world needs to hear. And then finally, as Isaiah closes this chapter, he does so with a vision of a processional way, a highway. Processional ways are universal in history. Uh, Some of you know a couple of years ago I visited the Neolithic processional way um, in the Ring of Brodka on Orkney. A long way to go, but it was worth it. Egypt has processional ways leading to temples and pyramids. And we have modern examples of processional ways. We have the Mall in London and the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. There, in the place that was once a wilderness, once a place of wandering, will be a raised roadway, a processional way, a clear, well-marked route. The people God has redeemed and ransomed will walk on it, and they will come home, says Isaiah. And as they walk homeward, there will be joy and singing. Sorrow and sighing will flee. The road home. I wonder, as these verses were read to the returning exiles, whether they thought about the highway that they would have seen in Babylon the processional way repaired and restored by Nebuchadnezzar, which led to the temples and palaces. It was one of the marvels of the age. As people walked along it, they would have seen life-size relief of lions lining the way to the temples. And here, Isaiah prophesies that our God will construct a way, a processional route for us to travel on, a highway reserved for us God's people, a way to walk boldly without fear. No lion will be there, nor will any ravenous animal go up on it. They will not be found there, says Isaiah. God's people don't need painted lions and reliefs to protect them. He will protect them. He will protect us from danger. Jewish law requires families to redeem and ransom the property of family members who've been forced to sell and to support family members in need without taking them into slavery and to redeem family members who've been forced to sell themselves into slavery. But here in the prophetic words of Isaiah, it is the Lord who redeems and pays the ransom for the people of Israel. And he's done the same through us, for us. And it's the Lord who oversees our return. For us, God's son, Jesus, redeemed us from slavery, paid the price, paid the ransom, set us free from the bondage of sin, made us spiritually clean so we could walk on his highway without defiling it. Tozer says this about holiness. Holiness is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us 
and changing us into his likeness. The poetry of this chapter begins and ends with singing and gladness. The way of holiness, our processional route to eternity in God's present presence, is the way of joy. At the birth of Jesus, this joy comes down to earth. Angels sang at his birth. This chapter from Isaiah 35 reminds us during this Advent season of God's coming in Christ and of our future home that we journey on as we walk the way of holiness, as we do God's will and be what God wants us to be. Amen. Amen.